Well, tonight we begin in earnest with Genesis chapter 1. We did our introduction last Sunday evening. And I want to remind you that we're going to take some time here going through the creation account, and we're going to do that for a reason and for a purpose. As we look at the book of Genesis, there are only two ways to view what we call the universe and everything in it. One is that somehow the universe created itself, and the other is that someone outside of space and time created all things that exist. You must believe one of those two dynamics. There are no others. It either created itself, somehow there was matter and all that matter came about, and time came about and space came about, or time, space, and matter had a definite beginning, and that beginning, God put all of those elements in place. Those are the only two ways, those are the only two cosmologies, or more definitively, cosmogenies, definitions of origins that you can have. And so I want to ask you a simple question tonight. How many of you in here tonight, and I do want you to raise your hand, believe that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? That's virtually every hand. So you believe in miracles, amen? You believe that God can do things that people to this day cannot explain. You also further believe, if you believe that one, I don't even need to ask you, that Jesus Christ was raised by the power of God from death unto life by the Holy Spirit. You also believe that. It is amazing to me how many Christians who believe that salvation comes by believing that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead that do not believe that God could have created the universe in six literal days. In essence, they only believe in miracles when they're convenient. So tonight, we begin our journey through the book of Genesis, which, while not being a scientific book, provides us with a background for how we ought to view our science. Almost all scientific disciplines begin with presuppositions, things that one believes are the origins of the point to which you're going to think. If you're in here tonight, you all believe in gravity. Every last one of you. You may not have ever expressed that before, but I guarantee you if I invite any of you to jump headfirst off the top of the building, you'll tell me no. So you believe that there are unseen forces in our world, Those unseen forces are laws, and those laws govern space and time. You believe that almost without me even having to ask you that question. So the question really is, where do you begin your beginning? The book of Genesis very clearly says in the very first verse, the Lord shouting this truth to us, In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the substantial amount of detail that you put into the creation account that helps us look at the world around us through the lens of Scripture. Lord, we we believe that you can do things that the world can't explain and that you are the unseen cause of all things. God, that what we see existing today exists because you called it into existence. And so, Father, please speak to us through your word tonight. Overlook my inadequacies as the deliverer of the message and speak to your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, it really matters where you get your sense of awe and wonder from. When when you travel around California, you you can't help but have a sense of awe and wonder. And whether that's traveling through our deserts or going to Yosemite or sitting on the coast of Big Sur and, and looking at the world around us, the world around us 
from God's perspective, he created in such a way that it would speak to us about him. And furthermore, it speaks to us about him in a way that was unknown at the time that the Bible was written. If you would turn to Romans 1 with me again, I want to remind you of this passage because it is infinitely important for you to remember that the Apostle Paul was in fact a creationist. He believed in the beginning God created. And that term created in the Hebrew language is bara. It means that it was created from nothing. In the Latin it would be ex nihilo, out of nothing were things created. It is not the reorganization of things that are already there. That is the Hebrew word asah. So the Hebrew word bara is used, and because it's used, it means that there was something that is there now that was not there previously. It did not exist. Notice what we have here, beginning in verse 20, Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now the Apostle Paul uh, didn't possess a telescope, didn't possess an electron microscope, did not possess any understanding of nuclear physics. He had no idea about atoms and molecules and quasars and quarks. And yet your Bible, written through the Apostle Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit writing through him, in other words, says that his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. In other words, he's, he's speaking to unsaved mankind. Mankind is supposed to be able to look at the creation and see the invisible attributes of God, things that we cannot explain, don't clearly know ourselves. And if anyone ever tells you that they understand fully the Big Bang, uh, you can tell them, no, they don't. Because the greatest minds in the world, like Dr. Stephen Hawking, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson, they they cannot get to the final end. And that is the reason that the current theory about the creation of the universe includes things like dark matter and dark energy. And in fact, so much so that the known universe, in their view, and they are brilliant scientists, mind you, I'm not for a moment dismissing the, the level of intelligence that people have, but I'm telling you where they start is there is no God. So they do not believe that anything can happen without there being something already there that morphs and transforms into what is. That's their beginning point. Scripture, on the other hand, says that there's a creator God. And that creator God is infinite. He exists outside of space and outside of time and thereby is able to create because he is the uncaused cause, the bigger picture belongs with God. Now notice where this goes. And again, very important starting point for us. Even his eternal power and his Godhead. You see, you all said you believe in miracles. It would be a very simple thing to raise a dead man to life. Why? Because he's already created. He already has cells, already has systems, already has a functioning musculoskeletal system, So that's no big deal. But creating a universe out of a singularity, this incredibly dense gathering somehow of matter that we cannot explain that's so infinitesimally small that the world's greatest physicists don't believe it was actually visible, but that singularity did somehow self-exist, and then it exploded and expanded in such a rapid fashion that now we get to where we are in time, and they say that 13.7 billion years ago, something that you can't see contained all of the matter and all of the energy in the entire universe that exists today, because the laws of physics say no matter can be created or destroyed. That's the law of conservation. It's the basic first law of physics. God says, well, no, that's not exactly so. Because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, when you start with the presupposition, with the basic premise that there is no God, 
it affects everything you think. And you begin to look for some way to factor God out of the eternal equation, out of the creation. And you try and come up with natural means whereby all things that you see could possibly exist. Notice what it says in verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise. God nailed it with this statement. Oh, and they profess themselves to be very wise. Now, they are very intelligent. You know, I don't want to go toe-to-toe with plasma physics with one of these guys. But I'll tell you this. At the end, they still got questions. They still don't know. At the end, I can't tell you specifically, except that I know that my God is able They became fools. And it doesn't mean that they're dumb. The term that's used here means that their minds are not functioning correctly in their understanding of God. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God in the beginning God, the incorruptible one, the one who was and is and is to come. Remember what Scripture says about God. He always has been. He's never not been. The universe has not always been. Hence what we have in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, there was a beginning to what we call the universe. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And eventually what happens, notice this, think on this. How much crazy time do we spend worshiping stuff, things, trees, canyons, rivers, lakes? Now, in my heart of hearts, I'm kind of of that 60s, 70s ecologist-minded guy. I'm a backpacker and rock climber, have been most of my adult life. I love God's creation, but I don't worship rocks. I worship the God that created rocks. I want you to take care of our national parks because I like to go there and I like to see them the way he created them, not the way they get messed up from people. So on that part, most of us agree. The problem is, is we start making gods out of our national parks. We start making gods out of whales and dolphins. And somehow in our feeble little minds, instead of honoring God's creation and taking care of children which are precious and made in the image of God, we're more concerned about whales and dolphins in national parks than we are about children. What does it say? Made like corruptible men, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things, and therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. In other words, the path of man's degeneration of thought comes from factoring in the beginning God out of the equation. So the starting point for us is in the beginning God. Elohim. It's actually a plural noun. It's suggesting a, a uniplural. It means more than two could be infinite. We happen to know because we know how many members of the Godhead there are. There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is a triune God. Interestingly enough, the very first word that we have of God in our Bibles is in the beginning Elohim. El is singular. Eloah can be plural, two or more. Elohim is more than two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No planets, no stars. He simply created the universe as we know it. And the earth itself was not fully formed at that time. And you're going to see as we go through the creation account that it makes absolute sense the way we see our world functioning today. Not the way an evolutionist would explain it. Because the evolutionist believes that somehow out in primordial space somewhere, there were a a number of what we would call atoms. Those atoms would have to be very specific. 
they would somehow coalesce and, and form some proteins and amino acids, and all of those amino acids would come together and make cells and systems, and those cells and systems would join together and make organs and tissue and sinew and all of those kind of things. Nothing that we see in the universe indicates that that is in the slightest possible. Nor is there any evidence in the creation itself to indicate that it ever happened. But when you do not begin in the beginning with God, you have to begin in the beginning with a singularity. A little mass of the entire universe that you can't see that's going to blow up. Now, I don't want you to think I'm exaggerating because that is exactly what it says. If you do a Google search, let me read it to you. The initial singularity was the gravitational singularity of infinite density thought to have contained all of the mass. This is the definition in a physics book that is used in colleges and universities today. All of the mass, space, and time of the universe before quantum fluctuation caused it to expand rapidly in a big bang and in subsequent inflation created the present known universe. So I'm not exaggerating the point. Now just in case you want to, well, we don't know how big it is, here's the answer to that. Because that also is defined. How, How big was it? The initial singularity, the gravitational singularity, this seed of the universe that some 13.7 billion years ago says here was invisible. Infinite density, in other words, the whole universe was compacted, so compacted that you couldn't see it. Thought to have contained all the space and time, and then it blew up. When, it, when did it really begin? It began before we know the universe was created. So they admit that they don't know how this got there. They admit that it's infinitely small, so much so that you can't see it, but they believe that all of the mass of the enti- every galaxy, every star, every planet, every mountain, every water molecule, everything in the entire universe was in something so small that you couldn't see it and it blew up. That's intelligent. And I don't mean to be critical, but that sounds like faith to me. That sounds like we don't really know, we don't like the obvious answer, which is in the beginning God. Now to run through all the mathematics and everything, I won't bore you with that. But the bottom line is we believe in the beginning God. When you look at this passage of Scripture, and I want you to love this passage, because if you get Genesis 1-1, you get the creation account right, you have the right view of everything else in our world. And it's so important for us because our minds are being assaulted every day. Any national park you go to, no matter where you hang out, you're going to be confronted with billions of years. You're going to be confronted in, in any geology class the various levels of, of the sedimentation that are found around the globe, and any fossil found in the layer of sediment, that's X number of million years old, and then the fossils that are found in there are used to determine if it's found in another layer of rock, well, that rock must be millions of years old. You know what we call that most of the time? Circular reasoning. A equals B, so B equals A. It's not that difficult But if you don't believe in the beginning God, you have to believe something else. If you're in Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see God mentioned by name 32 times. Throw in the personal pronouns, uh, he's mentioned 43 times. It's the most God-centered passage in the entire Bible. As you begin to read it, something comes very clear to us. There's precision, there's order. And most of you know that when you, you know, if you're a guy, you know that when you stick it, and we just had 4th of July. 
I'm absolutely convinced in Lomita people own military-grade weapons. I, I don't know what they were lighting off, but I wasn't even here. I could hear it in Columbia. But when you, when you take any type of, you know, explosive device and you put it in something really small, um, for, can we safely say nothing good happens? If you're a boy, you're a man, you're in here, you know what happens when you stick a firecracker inside of a Coke can. It doesn't turn into more Coke cans, infinitely more complex, right? It turns into shredded aluminum, exactly what you would expect. Comes completely apart. And so what God does for us so that we can understand this is he uses a figure of speech called a polysendenton. It is a way that you can use the conjunction typically and or then is another one that's used. And you'll see that here in the creation account 100 times, a little more than that, either and or then used to link a previous thought to the current thought. In other words, when you're using a, you're, you're doing a recipe and you write it down, you will use, here's the ingredients, Flour and sugar and baking powder and because you need all the previous ones in order for the end result to be correct. That's exactly what happens here in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God is saying in the beginning God and to that he adds everything else including a very clear definition of what we would call a solar day defined by an evening and a morning. A 24-hour cycle of the sun. And so he's telling us, look, I did this. You can choose not to believe it, or you can believe that I am the God, that is I am that I am, and I can do things that you don't fully understand. And so God here does some things that we can't fully understand or enlighten ourselves to, and I think for a reason. If we could explain God, then I wonder if God would actually be God. And so he leaves us thinking, he leaves us wondering, he makes it so you can't just give somebody a whole bunch of information, and on one hand, we cannot prove God exists, and on the other hand, scientists have not proved that he doesn't exist. And in fact, they get to the place to where God's a pretty good explanation for how things got here. But they ignore that. A reporter used to work for the New York Times covering social events, Back in the 1960s, uh, a man named Harold Fortescue uh, was covering a, a whole bunch of things that were going on in, in the fashion world. And he ended up writing a 12-page article. And he gave it to his editor-in-chief. His editor-in-chief said, young man, you've got to cut it down. There's too many words. And he says, well, how, how are people going to learn anything if I don't tell them the whole story? And he said this. He said, when God described the creation of the universe, he did so with 10 words. You can use less words. You you see, these 10 words define some things for us. And they really tell us who God is. God is self-evident that he is the uncaused cause of everything else. In other words, when we look at physics, we realize that anything that exists must have a cause that's greater than itself. That's a principle of physics. If something exists, whatever made it or the parts that it came from must, by a definition of classical physics, be bigger than that. God says, I am. And I am outside of what is created. So he is self-evident. He's the uncaused cause. He is therefore omniscient. He is all-powerful. Notice he didn't need anything to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And again, bear in mind that's speaking very specifically of what we call the universe. Everything in it, every star, every galaxy, every planet, though not yet fully formed, we'll see those on the next days of creation. So he is all-powerful. He is also transcendent because it says of him there was a beginning that was after him. So he transcends time. He lays waste, in essence, to atheism by saying there is no other way for these things to exist. I did it. 
So when people say they're an atheist, they have some problems with our physical world. They should look at the world exactly as Romans 1 says. And again, I don't have a good explanation for this. Now, you can believe that there was a blue-green algae someplace on the surface of the planet Earth at some point in time in the very distant past, probably in excess of three billion years ago, if you believed that there were things here three billion years ago, and that that blue-green algae got very friendly with another blue-green algae, and they had baby algae. Those are called algae. And the algaes kind of went around. They made a little city of algae. And the algaes all got together. And somehow they convinced each other, even though they don't have a brain, that somehow they're going to come up with knowledge. And that knowledge is going to, going to enable them to get far greater. And they're going to turn into all kinds of other things. And yet in the process of that, in what people would call Darwinian evolution they left behind not a single evidence of one transitionary fossil. And we'll get to that later when we, when we discuss this. But you see, people call me dumb. I can't believe you believe in God. Well, I won't call you dumb, but I will say, God is and you can choose to believe in him or not. I believe in him. You see, I believe in theology. That's the science of God. And if I believe that God is, that wipes out polytheism. There's not many gods. God says in the beginning, God, in three persons, existed. He didn't say there was Zeus. He didn't say they lived on Mount Olympus. And they had a bunch of lesser gods all hanging out. There was no Hades, the God of the dead. He just said, I was before time because I created the beginning, so I have to be bigger than whatever it is that I created, and I had to be there before it was in order to be its originator. That's all he says. No polytheism. He destroys pantheism. That God is, in other words, everything can kind of self do its own thing. A lot of people believe in pantheism. You know, it's like the universe is actually God. Matter of fact, the worship of Gaia or Gaia, whichever you prefer to say. I've heard people who believe in it that don't pronounce it the same both times. Is Mother Earth goddess. That the earth is actually a goddess. And that she kind of works all by herself to do her thing. And we don't want to harm Mother Earth. Because Mother Earth will get mad and cause climate change and global catastrophes. And before you know it, Kind of sounds exactly like what Paul said in Romans 1. You start trying to figure out how to make excuses for everything unless you begin in the beginning God. God declares that he's before the beginning. You see, here's the basic problem that most people have. God created time. And so we don't need what's called the gap theory. And the gap theory is basically between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. There are some billions of years that allows for evolution to happen. That's utter nonsense. Because the only reason people would even think that is to allow for the glacial ages and all of the sedimentation and all the things that supposedly happened when the earth made itself. So if you believed it in the beginning God, you don't need those billions of years. Because God is quite capable of making things well. That's why he says, after each day of creation, and God saw these things, and it was good. In other words, he didn't mess up. But here's what happens. People begin to look at the world through what we would call uh, a uniformitarian view. And so people pick up on, they tr- they've tried to push all kinds of things into Genesis 1-1 so that ultimately uh, there's a day-age theory which each day here in creation is not 24 hours literally even though God says that they're defined by a rotation of the earth by an evening and a morning. They don't want to believe that. They also don't believe that day means day even though the word used for day, the Hebrew word yom uh, is translated 2250 times to mean a solar day. There's no reason to believe that it's not a literal day. 
But ultimately, what people begin to believe is that all the processes that we see in our world have always been like they are. It's known as uniformitarianism. And from a secular sense, from someone who doesn't start in the beginning God, then they look at things like decay rates of radioactive materials and sedimentation rates on seafloors. And they look at uh, depositation rates and cliff faces and all those kind of things. And they, they look at how much sand is in there and they go, well, if two grains were transmitted into that space every thousand years, then this number of inches of that sandstone has got to equal X number of thousands or hundreds of thousands or in many cases, millions of years. But the only reason they believe that is not because they can date it, because you can't date it. You can only date the the amount of decayed carbon and radioactive material that's in there, which is very minimal. So they use the current decay rate that exists on the earth face today and says, well, it must have been that way for billions of years. Anybody see the fallacy in that? Was anybody around a few billion years ago? Did anybody take a picture of it? Anybody able to use a scientific method to determine whether it's always been like that or not? No, it's an assumption. It's called uniformitarianism. It is an assumption that things today have always been exactly as they are. Those rates have never been unchanged. The problem with that from a biblical perspective is we have two things that occurred. One of them is the creation of the earth and the subsequent fall of mankind, which brought sin into the world, and sin through that brought death. Decay becomes now the norm for everything, everywhere, all the time, and in every place. So we have, after that, we have the flood, to where the whole surface of the world is transformed and changed very radically and very dramatically. How many of you have flown across the central United States, flown over the Grand Canyon? Raise your hands. That was a few of you. Have you ever looked down there and said, wow, I don't see how that little tiny river could have carved that canyon. That's because it didn't. It's not even possible. And there are very few people that even believe today, including evolutionary geologists that believe that the Colorado River carved the Grand Canyon. The latest thing is there was a localized flood that was up in what we call Montana and Colorado, and somehow there was an earthen dam up there, and it busted loose, and massive amounts of water uh, cascaded down over the lower parts of what we call Arizona and Colorado and the Colorado Plateau, and at one time this giant flood came through. Well, we call that the flood of Noah. But you don't want to call it the flood of Noah because that means you believe in the beginning God. So you've got to have another reason. You see, they kind of bounce around things that are fairly clear. You fly over those states, you're going to see the effects of water having come across the entire western United States at some point in time and worked its way down through what we call the Grand Canyon. You're also going to find all kinds of other things that match up with exactly what Second Peter chapter 3 says. There shall come, it says there in verses 3 through 6, in the last days, scoffers. And why does it say last days? Because up until about 200 years ago, there were virtually no scientists on the face of the earth that didn't believe that there was a creator. There weren't any. It's really only been in the last couple hundred years that people have tried to come up with alternate reasonings for why the universe exists. In the last days, in other words, when we get to the end of the age of grace, walking after their own lust, what is that? You see, if you can get rid of God, you can do absolutely anything you want to do. If there is no God, then there is no eternal consequences. You can just please yourself. And so people don't like to admit this, but at the end of the day, most people, if they do not believe in God, do so because they don't want the responsibility that would exist if they believed in God. It's a very convenient out. You can do whatever you want sexually. You can do whatever you want with drugs. You can do whatever you want with stealing because ultimately it's kind of what you think about it. If you're okay with it, it's the old 60s. If I'm okay, you're okay. If it makes you feel good, do it. You remember those? There are some of us that are old enough to remember these things. Notice what it says going on. 
and saying, where is the promise of his coming? So we're 2,000 years out now. There are scoffers in the last days. They're all saying the same thing. Ah, you guys have been talking about Jesus coming back for 2,000 years. He hasn't showed up yet. We just don't believe he even exists. For since the fathers fell asleep, notice how Peter now nails these two things that show us how to view our world correctly. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, when that was, from God's perspective, because you all admitted that you believe in miracles, that God can do things that we can't explain. So if he did something six, 7,000 years ago, if you want to extrapolate it out, there's a little room to wiggle, maybe out to 10,000 years, something like that. We can't say definitively that we have the total genealogy before the flood, but it certainly is thousands of years. It is not millions of years. It's not hundreds of thousands of years. Less than 10,000 years ago, I happen to believe in a young earth. Not because I look at the world and go, wow, you know, the Grand Canyon, I mean, that kind of blows it for me. No, I just believe that God was true to his word. For since the beginning of creation, for this they are willingly ignorant that by the word of God, the heavens were old. Do you realize what that says? That by the word of God, the heavens were old. It doesn't say by a singularity exploding someplace near a black hole that the universe expanded with rapid speed, developing what we call the universe to some 13.7 billion light years in width. It says by the word of God, God said. What does it say in Genesis? Read on a little further. God said, and it happened. Peter's bearing witness to exactly what Moses received in Genesis chapter 1. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water now goes on to talk about the flood. There's creation, there's the flood. That whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. So the Bible says that there are two events that we have to take into account when we look at our world. One is God created it and that world fell. It's the reason for the flood. After the flood, the full surface of the earth was radically transformed, including all the depositation rates of sediment, including the decay rates of radio, radioactive isotopes, all the things that we say see, all of those things changed at that point in time. In other words, you can't judge the surface of the earth today by what is today. You have to look at it, what it was before the creation and then after the flood. Those two points define how we look at the world. Peter got it right. Divinely inspired prophecy, and if you want to call it such a thing, that's biblical uniformitarianism. In other words, the things that we see today are good from the flood forward. And the things that were before that were good from the creation to the flood. Including the fall of mankind. Remember what the curse of the flood was? It was because man was continually evil. Remember what happened with Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve sinned and so they began to die. Amen? So your Bible, the one that you believe in, records that people used to live for a thousand years. But gradually through decay... Their lives got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter until we get to the time of the flood. And now you get after the flood. And what does your Bible say in the book of Deuteronomy? Seventy are the years, the number of man, 80 if by reason of strength. Anyone want to take a guess what the average life expectancy is around the globe? It's between 70 and 80 years old, exactly what your Bible declares. And people say, well, you know, we can get, there's guys now that believe that we could live forever. I don't want to. (laughs) So don't mess with it. I'm good with going home. You see, so the creation happens, the flood happens. And so there's there's a ton of science to ponder. And I want to just give you some things to think on and chew on because we're going to look at some of these things in a little detail. And again, I don't want to bore you with science, 
But I think a lot of people think that Christians are ignorant and that we just believe sight unseen. Well, the Bible says so. Now, there is a part of us that that should be exactly how we view it. God said it. I believe it. I'm good with that. But you know what? When you examine your world, you're going to find out the Bible is extremely accurate to those things about which it speaks. And you can trust it. You don't have to make excuses for it. Ask somebody to give you a a rational understanding of how something that you could not see contained all of the matter in the entire universe. And that somehow there was a quantum fluctuation. Anybody in here know what a quantum fluctuation is? Probably not. And neither do the scientists. They just believe it had to exist because something has to happen for the seed of the universe to begin to wiggle to eventually blow up because there is no explanation for what is seen. And again, I am not mocking in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that's the best they got. So don't let people say you're a dunce for believing in the beginning God. Because they believe in dark matter. They believe in dark energy. They believe that the universe is made out of it, in essence. That less than 3% of the entire universe is actually made out of what we would call matter. The rest of it needs to be something to displace all the gravitational anomalies that they see. You know about gravitation. Any of you surf? You love gravitation. Here's why. The moon goes by, what happens? It tugs by gravity on the surface of the water on the earth and it pulls it out just a little bit and then it sloshes back, called surf. You see, you actually like science. But you got to get your in the beginning God correct. So Peter says, look, since the creation, the heavens were old, In other words, God created the heavens old, fully functioning, functional maturity. Don't you think that God, if God created, do you believe that God created man? Do you think God created Adam, an an amoeba, and then let him squirm around on the earth for billions of years? I don't. You talk about a cruel, mean God. Adam, your great-great-great-great-grandparents to the millionth time were amoebic. And man, your DNA, you, you see, there's so many questions that can't be answered by science. There's a professor at Brown University that believes this. He actually explains the creation of the universe by saying it's a whole lot like A human being being created from an egg. Oh, no, it's not. Because the human egg and the human sperm both have existing DNA. Information in both of them that if written out on paper would be great enough to fill the entire library of Congress. Oh, oh, no, it's not. Because you believe there was a little speck in the universe and that speck exploded. No, by the way, how did it get the information? You see, that's like the old argument. You know, God gets together and they want to do a science experiment and God challenges you. Well, you make something, I'll make something. So they grab some dirt and God says, oh no, you make your own dirt. <laughs> no, you can't start with something that already has information and massive amounts of cellular systems. The human zygote, when it begins to expand, multiplies and cellularly divides infinitely for a period period of about nine months, amen? That's why you get a full-blown baby and not, you know, the blob. It's all that information. But they throw out things like that to make you feel dumb. Why do you believe that God created the universe? Yeah, well, you believe that something that wasn't, that you couldn't see, blew up and created the universe. So you tell me which one of the two of us needs more faith. You need a lot more faith than I do. 
some science to consider as we close tonight. You see, from a secular view, two most basic natural laws as we know them, the laws of thermodynamics, there are two of them. The first one is that no matter or energy can be created. It's never been created. It can only be transferred from one form to another. So there are a finite number of atoms and molecules in the universe, and they started in one form, and they can be transferred into another form, and the energy that's dispersed when those things happen is always conserved. So you either have mass or energy and their equivalent. You all know it as E equals mc squared, Einstein's general theory of relativity. So that's a constant. The second law of thermodynamics is what we call the law of entropy or chaos, which simply means that all things tend towards disorder and decay. Very provable science, by the way. So if you had something that blew up billions of years ago, the laws of thermodynamics clearly state that it can't get more organized. It cannot become more structured. It will not create anything in and of itself. The second law precludes that from happening. So the laws of physics say that what people believe can't happen unless in the beginning God. You have to have a cause greater than that which is created or caused. Very simple. And yet people skip right over it. Those natural processes before the flood, the natural processes after the flood, undoubtedly just as we see them today. But if you have God that steps out of time, out of eternity and into time, and says, okay, I'm going to alter the way these things work. But he didn't change the laws of physics. He just did with them as he sees fit. So he puts a little comma in there. says, okay, now this is the way it looks. This is how it functions. Those decay processes and things that everybody hangs their hat on. Those so-called daughter-parent isotope ratios. You know, you hear about people say, oh, well, we carbon dated it. Everybody's heard of carbon dating, right? It's supposed to be this incredible science that allows you to infinitely date everything. It's not a legitimate indicator of the age of rocks. It never has been, and yet people run around and say, well, we carbon dated it. All they're doing is, is determining how much radioactive isotope is left in the rock, which is supposed to be an indicator of how old the rock is. But nobody knows when the rock is created, and it's so flawed that a couple of scientists on the island of Hawaii grabbed some lava directly from the magma as it came out of the Earth's surface, allowed it to harden, then had it tested, and it came back with a date of over 100,000 years old when it was yesterday. Because they believed that there was a uniformitarian decay rate of the radioactive isotopes that supposedly bombard the Earth's surface. And so if it's on the Earth's surface, then it must be this old. You see, they they don't believe in the beginning God. So when you ponder this verse, I pray that you're starting at in the beginning God. John contemplated that thing as he wrote his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to see in the creation account the word spoken forth. God just said, look, I did it. I admit it, I take credit. He was in the beginning with God, and all things that came into being came through him, and apart from him was nothing that came into being, and in him was life, and that life was the light of men, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it goes on in verse 14 to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Staggering. If you believe in the beginning God, Elohim, God in three persons, existing before time, before space, and before matter. Explains a lot. Helps us look at our world correctly. And he uses for the term for the word there 
is the, is the Greek and or the Hebrew word logos. And it means all that can be known, the sum and total, the entire knowledge of everything. So if Christ is ha-logos, then he's more than able to create stuff because he knows everything. And he was there before it got created. He has all the power and he can make things out of nothing. So far as I know, there's no one else in the universe that can do that. All the talk about, well, we created life in a test tube. No, you took life that existed and transformed it into something else. You did not create life. You didn't even make the amino acids and proteins and the molecules that were necessary for life. You took life that existed and you transformed it into something else. That's not creating life. God said, universe B. In that sense, I do believe in the Big Bang. God said it, I believe it, bang, there it is. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth said this, Colossians chapter 1, he is in the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. It's an amazing statement about our universe. That the universe that we know is made up of invisible things. We didn't figure that out until about 120 years ago. Whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is, notice what it says, before all things, in the beginning God. The Apostle Paul's reiterating this to the church at Colossae. And in him, all things hold together. So when physicists tell you that there's dark matter out there in the universe and dark energy out there in the universe that explains all the missing mass that allows the universe to function at such a high state of order, you can say, well, actually, God holds it together. Because they don't know. Can't see it, can't test it. It has to be there because there's no other explanation for it. When you talk to a physicist, they will tell you it has to be there. That's why they're looking for that God particle. The Hadron Large Collider that's over in the border of Switzerland and France. That's what that project's all about. Got to try and figure out what's back there holding all that stuff together. In the beginning, God. So don't let people convince you that you're ignorant because you happen to believe what the Bible says very authoritatively. The very first verse, in fact, very authoritatively. That's why John's Gospel and the book of Colossians say these profound things about a creator. I believe there's a creator. Can I explain everything that God does? No, I cannot. I don't even try. But what I do say to people is, look, can you give me a better reason than what I currently believe? Because what I currently believe is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And they'll say, well, you know, and they'll go through all these things I've just shared with you. And I say, no, that's not a better reason. Because yours has flaws in it, far greater than what I actually believe which is there's an infinite God outside of space and time who can do things you don't understand and call them into existence because he's God. The same God that raised Lazarus from the dead, I believe, can easily create the universe. No big deal for him. That's why it only took him six days. He's kind of messing around. Took a week and said, yeah, let's make a universe. And I don't mean to dumb it down by saying that, but it, is anything, what, what did Luke say? Is there anything too hard for God? There is nothing impossible for God. And so just because we can't understand it or explain it, we see the work of the, of the triune God throughout everything in our world. The work of creation, the work of the incarnation, the work of the baptism, uh, uh, all of the things that happened in, in Christ's life, we, we see him uh, absolutely reminding us, look, we, we were in this together the whole time. The resurrection, your, your own personal salvation, 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit involved in all of it. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Created space. He started the clock running in that sense. Set things into motion. He's what was before the beginning. Stephen Hawking would tell you there was this little seed of the universe out there called a a singularity. In the beginning was that. We don't know how it got there. We have no clue. Don't know where it came from. I simply believe a little bit past that. That there was a God outside of space and time that created time itself. Because the universe is created out of a triune uh, system. We call it a continuum. In other words, there's three things that must exist continuously together. You can't take any part of it out or the universe would not exist. They are space, time, and matter. So if God is outside of all those things and he can create the time, he can create the space, and he can create the matter which makes up our universe because he's bigger than all of those things. But if you're a physicist, you have to figure out Which came first? The matter? The space? Or the time? Their own theories of physics won't allow you to do that. They must exist simultaneously. I think in the beginning God explains it far better. That he simply created it. Made it because of his own good pleasure. Says, I'll give you my theory of cosmology in essence. I did it. It was me, God says to us. So he is the one thing that answers the law of causality. There has to be a cause for everything that there is. And that cause has to be greater than the thing that is made. He is the reason for the laws of thermodynamics. At the fall of mankind, he says, now everything is going to decay. So he sets that law in motion. Allows those things to work until this very day. Those principles still work towards that end. That one day he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because this one is winding down. This one is going to come to an end. This one does have a date stamp on it. He said, I created time. I created space. I created matter. I only meant for this, this world that we know to last for a certain amount of time. And then I'm going to make a new one. You see, that's the end of the story, isn't it? Behold, I make a new heaven and a new earth. It's not going to be like this one. What's it going to look like? I don't know. I'm kind of hoping for really big fish. Gigantic rivers with no pollution that I get all to myself. But the fish won't actually get hurt when I catch them. I'm probably going to be, you know, not have to eat them, but I don't know. But I believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? I'm going to bring the worship team back out. Our goal is to break down the creation account, the creation story into its various component parts, and so we'll be looking specifically at space, specifically at the planets. Well, I hope to have some PowerPoint up for you so you can actually see some of the marvels of our universe, the marvels of creation. I want you guys to to love the fact that God has been truthful and honest with you, that he in the beginning created everything it is, and he did so for his own good purposes, and he loves you. And so he's told you what he did. Would you stand and let's pray together. We are going to close in song. And then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You haven't told us everything, but you have told us enough. And so, Lord, we bless you for the truth of your word. That in the beginning, God created. You created, Father God. You created, Lord Jesus. You created, Holy Spirit. For your own good pleasure, all that is. Nothing was made without you. All things were made for you. And Lord, we worship you as our creator.
thank you, Lord, for creating us in your image and imparting your spirit to us where we can meet you and come to know you and one day spend eternity with you. So, God, we bless your name. We thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.